Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. My name is Lewis Daniels and joining me today is triathlete and living kidney donor Hannah Owen. Last year, Hannah donated a kidney to her brother Reese, who has previously been on the podcast, so why not go back and listen to his side of the story as well? Hannah discusses her experience of donating a kidney, her triathlon training and events, and how she regained full fitness again following the operation. Some key messages to take away are that you don't have to know someone in need of a kidney to donate, and to please share your wishes on organ donation with your loved ones so they know if you'd like to donate your organs and save someone else's life. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Hannah Owen, welcome to Transport Take on Sport. How are you doing today? I'm good, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing this. I've listened to some of your, your other podcasts that you've done. I've enjoyed them, so. Good. So before we before we get going properly, um, I did say on the last podcast that I would keep you up to date on the symptoms or side effects, if any, of the Oxford vaccine that I had um, at the time of recording. It's now four days ago, four or five days ago. Um. I'm part of a few different kidney groups, transplant groups, cricket team, young adult kidney group, a few patient support groups, transplant games teams. And some people have had no side effects. Some people have had side effects of differing natures. And to be fair, they've all been common side effects. Um, my experience, I had a jab. It was Thursday morning. Um, by the evening, I was a bit shivery, a uh, little bit of a temperature and a, and a bit tired. But I don't drink, but I've been told that, that sounds that's basically the symptoms of a hangover. Uh and that doesn't put people people off drinking. So why should it put you off taking the vaccine? I would happily take those side effects, the very minimal side effects from the vaccine, um every time rather than having the significantly worse symptoms of catching COVID. So from my point of view, all good, I'm fine. Um, Bill Gates isn't controlling me. I've not got any five G in me. <laughs> no microchips. It's it's all good. We're all fine. So, if you are offered the vaccine, please do take it, and we can we can work together as a country to just to really get going again. 
get out of the house and try and get back to normal at some point in the future. So as you've, as you've heard, we've got Hannah Owen on today. Uh, Hannah is your triathlete and you are, you're the first living donor on the podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm quite excited about that. I've interviewed your brother who you donated to, Reese. So yeah. if anyone hasn't already listened to that, then it's a good listen. So why not go back and listen to that first and then come on to this one. But for the purposes of this recording, um, it's, it's going to be done as a standalone. So if there are any crossovers between the two, I do apologise for that. Uh, but they are two standalone records and two standalone people. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So, Hannah, we'll, go, we'll start with uh, the sports you do. Uh, we'll go to before the donation. You're a swimmer, cyclist, runner for the triathlon. Uh, when did you start each one of those? So it was, you know, I could always swim, learnt when I was younger, but and really enjoyed it, but never did it, um, you know, competitively or anything like that. I was just very average at it. I think in about about 2017, I did the Couch to 5K, and I started running uh, 5Ks, doing it quite slowly, uh, built up to do a half marathon. But you know, I've never been a fast runner either. And then it came to cycling, and through uh, through work we had like a charity cycle and it was from uh, Geneva to Lyon in France over three days for charity and for some reason even though I didn't even own a bike and I, I could cycle um, but I hadn't cycled since I was younger for some reason I thought oh that would be great let's do that um, so I bought a hybrid bike which is it's like it's got road wheels on it so not a mountain bike but the handlebars are very like a mountain bike, very straight handlebars rather than a, a road bike because it's a lot less intimidating. Um, and I got onto cycling with that for a while. A couple of years later, I progressed and got a road bike. I just absolutely loved it. You could get faster and faster. Um, the more you do it, the faster you'd get. And then I got a time trial bike, which it's almost like an uh, evolution of the handlebars. So we've gone from a hybrid to a road bike to a time trial bike is this time it has handlebars that go two handlebars that stretch out in front of you so when you are riding you have your arms straight ahead and you're leaned right over to get in a really aerodynamic position um, and your wheels are shaped so that you sort of slice through the air and can go really fast have they got those um like see in the olympics where Rather than, I think I'm right in seeing this, uh, rather than spokes, they're sort of solid, uh, sort of solid hubs, if you like. Yeah, and I mean, I'm really not going to do it justice by sort of uh, um, not describing it properly, but if you have, if you go to the extreme, you have like a full disc, so you don't have spokes. It is a, as you explain, a full solid disc. And the idea of that is that is the max of being really aerodynamic and cutting through the air. So I have somewhere in between that where sort of the rim is um, 80 millimetres on the back. So the rim is quite deep, but there are still spokes, but they aren't as long as they would be normally. So that means you go quite fast. But if you had a full disc, you would you're really vulnerable to the wind because you could go um, you go really fast. But if the wind catches you, you could really be knocked. Do you see what I mean? Like you could just yeah, be. Yeah pushed right over so I've got somewhere in the middle of those two you sound quite into well, very into your cycling obviously with the achievements we'll come up to talk about 
big into all your swimming, cycling, running. Have you always been interested in the long distances, triathlons? It's really weird how it's come about. So I've not I've not done the longest distance one yet. The longest triathlon I've done is uh, called an Olympic distance, which is a 1,500 meter swim. And then the, the bike is probably about 40k, which I'd prefer to do a bit longer, really. But the run is 10k which I think is what limits me because I really like the cycling, but I'm not as good as, say, the running or the swimming. So if I get stronger on those two, I could do a longer triathlon, which is ultimately what I want to do, I think. I did a bit of research on those. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm right with the website I found. Um, are you looking at like a full triathlon? So is that an Ironman? Yeah, so the, the Ironman is the is sort of a brand and they do the triathlons that end essentially in a marathon so it's, it's completely like a full day thing um, I would love to do one of those one day but I think from everything that I've heard people say in coaches they say look at this point focus on getting faster and doing shorter and you've got years to then be able to build up to doing a really an Ironman in a good time rather than now rushing it and perhaps being a bit slower and doing it yeah it does seem it sounds very 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 challenging um again i hope i'm right with the research i've done so you said it ended in the the marathon so you've got a, a 2.4 mile swim 112 miles on a bike and then a marathon to finish off yeah it, it's amazing isn't it i mean as i say i haven't done it but i know a lot of people who have <laughs> i think it's brilliant it sounds it sounds difficult 112 miles on a bike See, that's a you know that's a uh, a full day out in itself, isn't it? You'd need to sleep after that, let alone doing a run straight after it. <laughs> and a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of these events, say the um, the swim will be in the sea, for example. So it's not like a straightforward pool swim, quite often. They're fighting against the tide, and then they're going on to do the bike and then the run. Is it always in that order? Yes, yeah, it's always that order. Sometimes it's if it's not a if they do different types of events, like a duathlon, um, it might be slightly different. But yeah, traditionally triathlons, it's always swim, bike, run. I think it's for safety as well. So if you swam last, you might be a bit tired. It's a bit more dangerous then. So how do you transition between the, the different legs and still manage to stay comfortable? So from the swim to the cycle, you get out the the pool or the sea and you're soaking wet and then <laughs> obviously transitions are counted in your time and then straight away you're onto the bike. Can you do that quickly or is it that, how, comfortable was my first thought? How do you say yeah. comfortable? So that it's, it's the fourth discipline, that, you know, everyone calls it. The fourth discipline is the transition. So the first transition, which is called T1, when you get out of the water, you need to be, um, especially the distances I've done, which are perhaps shorter, you need to be really comfortable and able to quickly rip off your wetsuit and you have a tri-suit underneath it. So you've already sort of lubed up your ankles and your wrists so you can just rip it off really fast. Um, you run from, you run to an area where your bike is kept and you're, you'll, you will spend a long time before it making sure that your helmet is there with the straps open easily, ready to put on. Your shoes, you know, are nice and loose. You've got talcum powder in them so that it absorbs any water that's dripping off you. Um, you've just prepared this so much in advance that you're you're just ready to go you know quite often I've practiced it in the back garden before I've done a race so I just I just know what I'm going to do in the transition 
So do you always train in that order as well then? Um, if I if you do a, a brick session, they call it. So a brick session would be in training when you would do, um, say, a cycle. You might go on your bike and then you go on a run straight after. So a brick session is two sessions back to back. I would try and do those in the order that I would do them in the race. Yeah. What, what does your training involve? So because, I, I mean, as I say, I should probably caveat all this with I, I am a, a novice, you know, I'm definitely not <laughs> elite. Um, but the cycling, a lot of road cycling, I prefer to be out and about. But with, uh, with lockdown and with any sort of bad weather, as cyclists, we're looking to have a software um, like turbo trainers. And I use a software. Uh, it's called Zwift. But basically, you have an avatar and your bike in the turbo trainer hooks up to your laptop and it, it takes you down different worlds and you can do different workouts. So that's a good way to train. Um, swimming in the pool or there's a lot of places around here. There's uh, lakes that you can go to or swim in the river to practice real outdoor swimming. And then running just as, as you normally would, as anyone would. Road running. Have you got a treadmill in the house as well? No, I would love one, but um, I'm told there's not enough space. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could always make space. but <laughs> So, it's been, so you, the the bike you've got in the house, I'd be first for a lot of people, a bike in the house that isn't used as a clothes horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, it sort of sits around because I've got the road bike, but then also the time trial bike. So, because you know they've got different sort of a different setup for different purposes, um, which might sound a bit over the top. But then my partner's got a road bike and he's got a time trial bike as well. So, there's I mean the house isn't that big, and <laughs> they are sort of you know we have a spare room that is just a room full of you know uh, basically bikes and clothes and not really usable for anything else. <laughs> like Halfords. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. How do you find the time to be good at, or that good at three sports? I think, well, I think more recently there's been a bit of an evolution of, I think as you could tell when I was nattering on before about the cycling, I really enjoy that the most. And I think I've started to focus a bit more on cycling because I enjoy it more. But then I think, well, if I still want to do triathlons, I have to concentrate on the other two. Um, and they are the things I'm weakest at. At the minute, swimming has completely taken a back seat. I probably don't know how to swim anymore because of the pandemic. Um, but uh, running, I sort of try and concentrate on that because that is something I think if you, it takes a lot of fitness to be able to run. So if you don't run much, it's even harder when you do again. Uh, yeah. And every day I would sort of say to myself, right, can I do something today? And just get a lot of sessions in in the week really to get it all done. How do you say motivated during training and during a race, to be fair? I mean, I've heard that, again, I hope I'm right here, uh, that during a marathon or like London Marathon, for example, you're not allowed to listen to music. Is that similar with the races that you do? Yeah, well, every race I've ever done, you're, um, you're not allowed to have earphones in. But, and I think, as you say, is when you, some races... If it's a short race, you might run around a certain circuit where there's music and there's people cheering you on. And at these events, the, you know, the people that are cheering you on really give you so much gusto and steam. But there is, especially on the bike, there are most of the bike you are on your own and there's no one to cheer you on because it's quite a big course. 
then you'll turn a corner and suddenly there'll be someone there, you know, cheering you that they don't know you. They're just are looking for people. And that's that keeps you going. But I think in your head, you're just thinking, like, especially when on the bike, I'm just trying to put more power down. It's going to be like, come on, come on, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Does your mind wander as you're going round? Yeah, definitely. But when you're training, like it would, you know, it would wander. But I think when you're in a race, I'm I'm nearly always sort of thinking about what I'm doing. Because if my mind starts to wander when I'm on the bike or the run, I back off the pace a bit. And then when I start thinking you're in a race, I go a bit faster. So I have to keep concentrated, I think, the whole time. Yeah. But when you do these Ironmans that you mentioned, I can imagine your mind must go everywhere, perhaps in some dark places as well, because it's, it's so long. <laughs> <laughs> so we we mentioned it at the start. You, you've donated a kidney to your brother, Reese, um, And you mentioned when, when we recorded that he had fights when he was in stage five kidney disease. Yeah. Did you keep your training? In fact, we had a, this question came up on Instagram. I asked for some listener questions. Um, did you carry on training as usual up until the operation, or did you pull back in the week before? Just completely as usual. Yeah, I, I knew there was no events or anything. Um, actually, no, that's that's a bit of a lie. I was supposed to last year was supposed to go cycling around the Pyrenees in um, June, which and my operation was in February, so. I was thinking, oh my goodness, I need to get my cycling fitness through the roof so that once I've donated, it will drop through the floor. But there was already a good base to, to bring it back. So I was actually training quite a lot on the bike. Um, but everything else was just to to sort of keep fit. And I think two weeks before I went to the velodrome in Manchester and had a taster session, you know, cycling on a, a, a fixed gear bike around the velodrome like you see on the Olympics. Yeah. So I just kept it up as normal, really. It's good to hear. I think if there are any potential donors listening, mm-hmm. they'll they'll be pleased to hear that you just carried on as normal, actually even more intense, all the way up to <laughs> the donation. And for those who haven't listened to, to Reese's one, when did you actually donate? So it was February the 3rd, 2020. So a year and five days ago from when we were Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Nice to have a year passed. It's gone fast. It's a good landmark. Yeah, definitely. And me- I think for me, mentally, that was a point where uh, the worries died down a bit because you've hit the year and it's like, right, the ri- the risky part, or the most risky part, through. And now, right, you can get on with it. Unfortunately, because of lockdown and the pandemic, mm-hmm. not quite been able to get on with it as much as maybe you would both have liked. Yeah. Um, but at least I've, I've been saying this loads through the last year. I think I'm, I'm guessing, I'm not going to presume, but I'm guessing that Reese might have been the same and you would have been the same as well. Um, just glad that it happened when it did and not a few months later in your case or a year later in my case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when he was, he was in hospital for a while afterwards and I think he was still having to go into hospital when you know, mask people wearing masks and things like that, and it started to become apparent. And we thought, oh my god, thank god we got it in before any of this happened. And operations were postponed, weren't they? A bit last year, so yeah. My my grandmother's been waiting um, nearly a year for a hip replacement now. Mm. Oh my gosh! So hopefully that that comes soon. Yeah, definitely. It's no it's no joke, is it? When it would affect the quality of life, I'm sure. 
No. Uh, when, so the donation is coming up and you t- Reese is told he needs a transplant. Mm. Was it a difficult decision to come forward? Did, it, did anyone else come forward? Yeah, well, it first happened when I was about 15. It first came to be that he had uh, chronic kidney disease. And at, at that point, it was almost just like, a, oh, this is this is what we'll do now. You know, we'll, my my mother, my sister and my other brother were all tested. But I wasn't allowed to be because I was 15. He had to be 18. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just really wanted to be. I didn't see any downside. It was almost just like what you would do. I, I want to do it. Um, luckily, you know, he didn't have to have a, a transplant until I think it's nearly sort of 10 years later. Uh, and it came about again. And they didn't bother taking any, giving me any tests because they already had uh, my sister, who would have been, would have been the perfect match, perfect tissue, perfect blood, I think. Um, so she was like, right, let's go. And then they gave her some tests and she couldn't do it because the process that they screen you for as a donor is so thorough. So she couldn't do it. And my mum went forward and she couldn't do it. So then they, they tested me to see what I would be like. Um, and I was you know, not as good as much as they are, but, you know, I I was all right. It would do the job. And I think, sorry, to come back to your question, it was just like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Let's let's get it done. (laughs) I think my mum was the same. As I think we both said at the same time, uh, if it was the other way around, we'd do the same. Yeah, that's it. You just, you haven't been given the opportunity to need to help your mum, but you just would, wouldn't you? It's just, it's that instinct. Yeah. And obviously a big decision to make, or it sounds easy from what you've been saying, but emotions aside, were you anxious about going through with it? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest time I was anxious, I think, was in the hospital the night before. And actually also the lead up, the build up to it, work was so busy because I had to um, I was going to be off work for two months and I had to get everything into place to be able to leave work for two months, make sure um, I'd done everything, got everything ready, passed over notes to other people so that they could deal with the workload in my absence. So that was so stressful. And then there's all these last minute checks with the hospital. And then the night before the operation, just sat in the hospital, I just like adrenaline coursing through your veins. Um and I don't know, because I completely wanted to do it. There was never any doubt in my mind, but it's, I think it's just being scared of being cut open, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's understandable. It's a big, big decision to make. Um, we've sort of skimmed over it, go back. Um, so for people who might be wondering about the donation pro- process, mm-hmm. how was the testing process for you? And for those who don't know, what does that involve? So there is... There was quite a lot to the the testing process, and I, I can't remember every step. Um, I should have sort of reminded myself, but I know there was there's initial blood tests that you have, um, and they test your I think your tissue and your blood type if you don't know it or if they don't have it on file, so you can see if you match. Um, but I mean, even if you don't match, that's not a problem. There are different ways you can go about it. But we were direct, so we had my kidney. Then they do. I think they do like a general health check somewhere along the way. And then you go into hospital for pretty much a full day and have different tests. They um, they inject you with some sort of fluid, if I remember, and it, it filters through your kidneys. And then you have 
um, like an ultrasound scan so they can check how well your kidneys filter out all this stuff just to know that you've got a decent kidney to give and a decent kidney to keep for yourself. Um, and I think they did perhaps some sort of ultrasound scan. But then I, after that full day anyway, there was at least three days of having to go back and get different blood tests taken for different things. Pretty rigorous. Oh, and a, a psychological assessment as well. And yet to take in pictures yeah. of me and Reese when we were little to show that we were actually related. <laughs> I can remember that. My mum had to take in pictures. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds it sounds sort of trivial or almost a strange thing to go through. It took us by surprise when we did it. Um, but obviously it has to be done for, mm. I think, legal reasons and to make sure you've got the right intentions for doing it and you're not being paid. Yeah. Um, I guess this is something else I spoke to Reese about. Do you remember the the tissue licensing meeting when you go in a room with someone who's sort of signing the papers to say, right, you can go ahead and donate? Is that the meeting where they say, where you have to say what you would do if it was unsuccessful, whether you'd have it thrown in the bin or? I think it, I think so, yeah. Because the bit I can remember from my mum being asked, mm. or her coming out saying she was asked, we weren't allowed in the same room while they're asking the questions. Mm. But it sort of, it took us both back a bit because we hadn't really thought about it or put it into words. Uh, when they say, I think that is one of the questions, what would you, what would you do if it, if it was unsuccessful? But the one that took us back was, or my mum especially, why do you want to donate a kidney to, in your case, Reese, my mum's case, mm-hmm. me? Uh, and then the other way around, why do you think they're donating to you? Was that difficult to put into words? I think I do remember sort of being asked that. Um, I mean, I didn't realise that there was the opposite question asked to to you and asked to Reese. you know, why do you think they want to give you a kidney? Um, I think it's, being asked that is a bit like, you know, almost like a silly question, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> why, you must know, yeah. I, I did, my mum said she came out and she was asked that question and she sort of thought about it and thought, Oh, that's an easy question. He went, uh, because he's my son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I care about him. <laughs> as testing vigorous, as you've said, to make sure or minimise the chance of it being unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And that, that question had to be a reality, which no one really wants. Um, it comes up to transplant day. On the morning before you're about to go, how did that feel? That was uh, the same feeling, I think. My mum was there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I think she was saying something to me, and my, my boyfriend was there, and I think he was saying... And they were like, possibly the, you have to have a shower and put a certain liquid on yourself to, I don't know, uh, sanitise yourself. And I think I just remember, like, I just didn't want to, I wanted them to be there, but I just didn't want them to say anything and I didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to just for it to be, you know, for me to be um, under and for it to be done. And I remember it was the, the uh, I think the, one of the people in the operating theatre had come down, all gowned up, and he said to me, Right, what operation are you having today? And I said, I'm donating a kidney. Which kidney are you donating? <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> and it was, I felt <laughs> such an idiot because I didn't know if it was my left or my right. And he wasn't very happy. And he went and checked and he's like, right, it was your left kidney. So I said, okay. And then every step of the way, must have been at least six times, someone comes with an iPad, what's your name, Hannah? What are you doing donating a kidney? Which kidney is it? Left kidney. Okay. And it must be like a, a safeguarding thing. It just They just ask you so many times. And then someone held my hand as they were. I remember them putting me under. I'm just thinking, oh, yes. <laughs> That's it, no worries. <laughs> Was that sort of quickly out and then none the wiser? Yeah, it just, um, I think you just couldn't have that anxiety, feeling of anxiety anymore. It's almost as soon as you were lying down, you think, right, there's nothing more I can do now. It's out of my hands. Nothing Nothing can go wrong now. You know, it's going to happen. Although stuff could go wrong, but... We hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you came round after the operation. Did all, I mean, it all went smoothly, didn't it? Yeah, it all went... Um, certainly on, on my end, it all went smoothly. And I just remember coming round and just grinning, just being so, so happy. And my mum said, oh, you know, it must be the morphine. And I'm sure it wasn't. I felt like they were treating me like, a, you know, a bit of like an idiot saying, oh, it must be the morphine, she's smiling. And I was thinking, I'm not. They've told me that he's in the theatre, it's gone in. You know, it's come out of me, it's gone into Reese. I was just thrilled. <laughs> was that a bit of validation or confirmation that you've you've done your bit well? You've yeah, been successful? I think so, yeah. It's, I mean, not like there is ever, there's never any pressure, but you just know that your sort of your bit is done. And it's in the hands of these professionals now. There's nothing that could go wrong. Because I think before our operation had to be moved back a week because they took some bloods and my iron was just slightly low. And I don't eat meat. So I remember thinking, oh, my God, Hannah, you fool. You know, your iron is probably just slightly low. It's your fault. And then the operation got postponed a week. So, you know, I think you think, oh, I could mess something up here. So I was just so happy that I hadn't. <laughs> Was it the temptation to eat meat again? Yeah, the uh, 
the coordinator phoned me and said, oh, Hannah, I'm ever so sorry, but you're going to have to come to Liverpool again to get another test. Your blood is slightly low and the surgeon is concerned um, that maybe he shouldn't do the surgery. And I was like, oh, no. I said, I can get a steak. I'll get a, you know, I'll eat a steak. I'll do. <laughs> and she was just like, that's not, that's not going to make a difference, Hannah. <laughs> that's very naive. <laughs> How long were you in hospital for after the transplant? Uh, so I was in for four days. And it was, really that was great, the worst. It? Yeah, that's it. It's not, it's not nice being in hospital, but I sound probably quite patronising saying that because that was the worst bit for me. But that's that's literally it. That's the worst bit. And then it's uphill from there because obviously there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, you can just go go back to what you know, People do function with one kidney. It's perfectly normal. They live normal lives. Yeah, that, that's the best bit you have. That very nice. Feeling, feeling a bit ill in hospital. You know, as you say, you're sort of, when you're losing organ, you can't, you can't walk too well at first. You recover and then you've recovered and you're like, oh my God, I, I, didn't, I don't need to. <laughs> I'm just you perfectly found it out. Were you and Reese always close growing up? Yeah, well there's there's four of us and we're um we've always just always really got along. There's a bit of a an age gap between us, uh, but we've always been close and I think as you said earlier, any one of us would have done it for the other one, I think. Has this brought you even closer then? Yeah, I think there is uh there's just naturally a bit of a thing there, isn't there, of you know not that I would say he's got my kidney, but yeah, I think perhaps it has, yeah. And uh, have you, in sort of sibling fashion, uh, have you now got um, a little bit of a one-up on Reese? So if, if ever he's, if you're ever like, I don't know, um, <laughs> having a bit of a discussion, you can just pull out the, I gave you a kidney. Yeah, that's it's you always, it. that's it. I think it's going to be a good uh a good point of a, a bit of a joke for years to come yeah <laughs> <laughs> always got that over him yeah and it's it's nice it's something that it, at this point now when once as you say the years passed and he he's doing well once you know that has happened then you can make light of it can't you yeah that's the main yeah. thing <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll come on to um getting back into sport and um, yesterday i asked for uh any questions that people might have for you on mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and for future podcasts, if anyone does want to get involved, submit the question. Um, then if you follow the podcast account everywhere, um, Instagram is at Transplants Take On Sport Pod, Facebook at Transplants Take On Sport Pod, and Twitter, as I said in the last podcast, there was a character limit. So that's at TTOS Pod. Um, the day before each record, I'll put a post up. And if you do have any questions, can find out who's coming on before it's been recorded and send in anything you might want to have asked so we got um we got a message on instagram from diane who says she's, she said we're all right to read this out she says um hi just seen your tweet about tra- talking to a triathlete who is a living kidney donor uh, i have a couple of questions um and it's very similar to your position hmm. i'm training for my first triathlon should have been last year and also being tested in two weeks to see if I'm a match to donate a kidney to my brother. I'm hoping I'll be able to defer to next year if I am a match because my brother comes before anything. I'd love to know how long it was before your triathlete was doing any kind of training again. Of course, I know that full medical recovery is vital to getting it back to good strength, but would be good to have a rough idea. Mm -hmm. For me personally, 
Um, I thought that was quite sweet as well, where she just said, oh, my brother comes before anything. <laughs> That's quite sweet. Um, I think for swimming, that was the first thing I could do. For four weeks after it, I could sort of gently swim and that felt like it was recovering my whole body more than training to swim, really, because I couldn't kick off the wall. Whereas usually, you know, you'd swim, get to the end of 25 metres and kick off the wall. I had to get to the end and then just push off with, <laughs> with my hands because of, because of the wound, I couldn't kick off. Um, I think by the time your eight weeks are done, that's probably when you can get to to training more than recovering. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. She goes on further and says, another question, um, also, if you could ask if there has been any impact on general training since the operation, for example, do they still push themselves as hard or has their training changed to reduce the strain on the single kidney? Thanks so much. The time of this is incredible. Honestly. Um, so... Do you want me to go back over again? Yeah, could you just sing the, the first bit? So, uh, has there been any impact on general training since the operation? So do you still push yourself push yourself as hard or have you mm. changed the training a bit? So I'd say that in terms of when you have an event, if you have it in the, the near future... I wouldn't want it to put too much pressure on yourself because your fitness might not be back that soon. But now, being one year on, for quite some time now, I've pushed myself possibly even harder than before the operation. And there's absolutely no difference. I am I'm more fit now than I was before the operation. Um, so I'd say there's no impact there at all, which is great. The, for me, the one thing someone said to me before the operation, I said, would there be any impact on my training? And they said, um, I think it was the surgeon who said, perhaps if you wanted to do an ultra marathon or something like that, to train to that level, you might need more or you might want to take in more protein. Um, but you can't because you've got one kidney. You can't be taking in excess amounts of protein. So for me, that would be the only way I would be limited. I just think you can push yourself even harder than you can now. Absolutely. Absolutely. As as they probably said when you were having it done, you you can just live a normal life, perfectly healthy with one kidney. Yeah. You're both now living with one kidney. Yeah, that's it. He's got one good one. And then, uh, yeah, and I've got mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Diane for sending the questions in. Um, if anyone else has any for future podcasts, please do. Even if they're for me, I can answer them in whichever one they come through for. So thanks again and please please do send in any questions there's no silly questions as i said on twitter even if it's some sort of sports based would you rather we'll take it or take <laughs> it down to some sort of some sort of route of conversation uh and we'll go with it uh so how long how long would you say it was before you got completely full fitness back again oh, that's really hard yeah really hard to say running actually i think was the hard it was the last one to come back because sometimes I'd, I'd run and then I would just not feel too good. Um, and that was sort of down to the operation. I think maybe it was February. Probably by June, I think I was back to pre-operation. So that's what? Four months? About four months, yeah. Not so, bad. Yeah, I think with what it is, that is, that's huge really, isn't it? After four months to feel how you were beforehand. And then you've made an you know an impact on on Reese's life, and you've just you've just recovered, you know. So yeah, that's quite quick, I think. Yeah, and it must be reassuring for you to get back to fitness that quickly, especially 
being so young when you donated to know that you're back to normal again and you've got all the rest of your life to still go as you would do had you not donated a kidney? Yeah, that's it. It's sort of, um, it's done and then I've got that fitness. Uh, yeah, it's almost we make a bit of a joke, say with my sister or something, say, oh, that's it, I've got it out of the way, but you, <laughs> you've you got it to come, say, so. <laughs> you know, in, in 20 years or something or or 30, you know, however long the kidney would last. <laughs> She's next. <laughs> yeah, has lockdown had much of an impact on you and your training? Yeah, the main thing was things that had been cancelled. So I had a, had a trip to Mallorca planned in May and then in June um, there was the, a trip to the Pyrenees and they were all going to be training. So the one in Mallorca, I was going to get out on my bike just as much as I could to try and train really to be able to do more training in the Pyrenees, which would be more intense. So they were both completely cancelled. Um, so that's a, a big impact. And then also the fact that all the pools have been closed as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I mentioned um, off air before we came onto this, that just, I probably just lost my ability to <laughs> to swim. But so does everyone else. So if I did a race at the end of the year or in the middle of the year, um, most other people, unless they've got their own pool, would be in the same position. So it's not, it's not yeah, you're bad. all level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you been able to do any events since you donated with it being such as, again, everyone's favourite word, um, an unprecedented year? <laughs> it has been, yeah, such an unprecedented year. <laughs> um, there were, I was really lucky to get in some training or some events, sorry, as you said. I did my first uh, time trial series in the summer and they held it and they held it really well. And what it is, is that was on the time trial bike again. And it was um, two loops of a seven mile circuit quite locally to me in Chester. So 14 miles altogether and you just go basically as fast as you can. Obviously, when you come to junctions and stuff, you're being safe, but you go as fast as you can. And Actually, with a time trial, I was so scared about the fact that at the beginning, they have to hold on to your saddle and you start clipped it with your feet clipped into your pedals. Um, and then they will let go on one and you go, or they'll let go on zero and you go. And I was scared because if you can imagine, if you've got your feet clipped into your bike, you just feel if you slight, if you go too far to the right, you'll fall and they won't be able to support your weight. So I was really nervous about that. But actually because of the pandemic and social distancing that wasn't a rule and you actually just start with one foot on the ground so I was like this, this plays to my advantage <laughs> as, as well as that I made a note there was um sort of two other events one was a sprint triathlon which I was really pleased to have done because it was almost it was in September so seven months after the operation and I was sort of it felt like a tick in my head, like, yes, I'm, you know, there's no worries here. I'm completely back to where my fitness was. Um, and it was also an event. It wasn't a race, but it was called a swim run. And basically you, it was like a 15 mile loop in the Welsh mountains. And then you, you run and then you swim through a lake and then you run to the next one and then you swim through that. And you just, that was brilliant. And it does sound fun. And to a certain extent, is it quite relaxing when you're out there and you're, running, swimming, just in the mountains, nice scenery, quite a peaceful atmosphere. That's it. Yeah, that particularly was was fantastic and I'd love to do more of that sort of stuff. 
um, just just being out there, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And when you're cycling as well, although sometimes there are cars around you and things, it, it is quite peaceful. And if you go down country lanes and there's there's sort of no one around, it's just you and your thoughts. It is nice. Uh, have you got any more uh, any plans for more events in the future? So definitely, but nothing signed, nothing that I've signed up to. So you know, there's definitely things I want to do, but I'm just like I'm too worried, sort of with the with everything that's gone on, that's going to get cancelled and that sort of thing. So just training in hope that I'm training to be better. So when we can book events, whatever it will be, I'll be better at it. You know, it's my aim at the minute. It's difficult to plan ahead at the moment, especially. Yeah, yeah. One thing I was going to come back to: you sent me some notes um, before recording. You mentioned the the Rafa 500 challenge that you did between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fantastic. It was the aim is from Christmas Eve to New Year's Eve, you have to cycle. So over eight days, have to cycle 500 kilometers. Um, originally, it was a challenge where you had to do it outside, but because of the pandemic, they changed it so you could do some indoors. But I was determined to to do it all outside. And it makes it even harder because between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, the daylight hours, you know, are are really small. So you can't go riding from, well, you can go riding from dawn till dusk, but there's not much time to do that. Um, And also it it was snowing towards New Year's Eve. It was really icy. So it was was a bit of a nightmare. I I got loads of uh, winter sort of cycling clothes though. And I did most of it on my own. I think I probably did about, maybe about 70 kilometres um, with my partner, but I did the rest of it on my own and that was such a huge achievement. Is that something that you'd, you'd do again this year, especially with, as you said, not really wanting to plan too far ahead in case it gets cancelled? And if you can do that just outside around where you live? Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing to do really in a, a pandemic, isn't it? If things get cancelled, um, that is something you can just do on your own and you don't have to sign up to it either. It doesn't cost anything, so... You could just you could bail out last minute and no one would know because you <laughs> you've not signed up. <laughs> but it's, there is something to train towards, something to something that you've got, even if there's no other other events going on. That's it. I suppose I could take my total time from the last one and sort of try and reduce it this year. And I mean, there is also um, I was just going to mention if events and things are cancelled, then and the pools are still closed as the weather gets warmer. Uh, I was planning to go swimming again. Um, so the River Dee is, is really close to where I live. And it's sort of a great place to go and go for a swim in there. So if pools are still shut all year, you know, touch wood, they're not. But there's always that I can train in. Yeah, that, yeah. Again, useful for the... these unprecedented times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about open water swimming? Would you rather do that or in the pool? Yeah, I'd rather swim outside, definitely. It's... It's uh, it's more peaceful and it's really nice. But having said that, my technique is not great. So I definitely need to go back into the pool to get it better. So that when I'm swimming outdoors, I'm doing it gracefully. <laughs> not around. Is it better training as well, the open water, or better for your training rather, um, if there's a tide or a current swimming against that? Yeah, that's it. You, you're adding something different. Whereas if you were just training in the pool all the time, and then you came to an actual race. There's things like, you know, the sun might be in your eyes and you have to actually breathe the other side, which you might not have practised in the pool. 
um, it's just more of a real life stimulate simulation in open water. So I think it's definitely better training. Absolutely, yeah. It's just, it sounds sounds beneficial and sort of when if you if a lot of the events you do are open water again that uh, specific training. Mm, yeah. Would you ever give it a go? Do you think open water swimming? Probably not after the transplant because I'm one of those that's quite aware of infection and illness. So I'd be I'd be very cautious about swallowing any water or yeah that sort of thing. Yeah, you might want to be check the water quality if you did perhaps maybe not the river D. It's <laughs> <laughs> somewhere a bit nicer. Maybe a, maybe a quiet pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hannah, there's a few more things that I want to talk about before we come to an end. It's been great so far. I think being the first donor on here, people find that really useful, take a lot from what you've said. And hopefully if they are faced with the prospect of donating, they'll be more inclined to do it and have the reassurance of your stories to help them along the way. Uh, one thing I would say is that you don't have to know someone to donate to them. People mm-hmm. can be altruistic donors and donate to somebody they don't know just through their own goodwill and wanting to help somebody out and get their life back on track, give them a second chance. Are you able to put into words how it feels to be a donor? Yeah, you you get a lot of um, you get a lot of people giving you a lot of praise, which is you know is, is really nice, but it can almost sort of make you big headed. You, you're just doing something that a lot of people would want to do, but have never been given the opportunity to do it to someone. Uh, to someone they love or have not thought about being an altruistic donor um it does have a, a feel-good factor you know it's it's not a selfless act at all you know it is you do feel good about it seeing you know for me seeing my brother and, and knowing he's better for it so it feels like you've done something does something special important yeah definitely and it, it gives you a bit of appreciation for your own body as well when you feel a bit rubbish in the hospital bed and then weeks later you're doing something and you realize how your body bounces back and um, as a healthy individual that's great and then you can give a bit of you to someone else and help them feel like that a bit as well absolutely so yeah. i've got a bit of a, a guess of what this answer would be but um would you encourage other people to come forward and donate even if it's to someone that they don't actually know yeah definitely i would definitely consider you know thinking about it um exploring the avenues seeing if it is for them but if you know someone was in the position and they were thinking about doing it and they asked just my opinion, I would say, yeah, yeah, do it. Ask lots of questions, speak to people, but yeah, do it. There we go. Straight away, you've heard it there. Um, why not? I now know a few people who've done it just through receiving transplant myself and meeting other people, meeting donors. They've all, they've all said it's fine. They've all recovered, living a normal life. One more question before we go. It's one that I ask everyone who comes on, slightly different today. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to a potential living donor? Ooh. I would say join um, join a, like a support group. So there is one that I have on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure the name of it, but it's like a living donor page. And people right there, the idea is it's it's for donors instead of recipients and people write on their 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 woes their worries their questions their experiences their celebrations and um, how well it's gone if anyone had any issues 
so that you fully know what you're you're getting yourself into and you know how to prepare you know what's packed for going to hospital just join one of those groups and speak to people there's loads of support out there i think that's a great idea and a great suggestion if we do find the name of it i'll try and share it uh in the show notes when this goes out and try and share it on social media when i post about it so hopefully we can attract more people to that bring all the donors together and yeah uh encourage them to talk i've, I've actually sorry got i've it. just got the name up is that okay can i share it yeah that's fine yeah yeah go for it. it's called the living donor support group uk on facebook there we go if you are a donor why not join it see other people see them share the stories and share yours if you want and uh, hannah thank you so much for coming on the podcast today uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you I, again i've said this every week i'm learning from everyone who comes on learning more from a donor's point of view obviously i've talked to my mum but talking to other people does help and you can understand sort of how it feels to go through that process yeah well thank you for having me i've listened to your as i say your other ones i just think it's it's amazing just to hear people's stories it's been brilliant so thank you for setting up the podcast and having thank me you on. <laughs> thank you so there we go my guest today thank you again hannah owen uh if you enjoy the podcast then why not tell your friends about it give it a follow or a subscribe on whichever place you normally get your podcasts from if you don't enjoy it then tell your friends you did anyway and let's grow this grow our little community get people involved try and help people out through the podcast listening to other people's stories um if you are listening on apple podcasts which from the stats i've seen is the the most used one it would mean a lot to me if you could give it five stars on there. There has been a review as well, um, which I was I might even read out next time. There's been a review on there, five stars. So if you do rate your five stars and review it, I'll probably read it out on the podcast. Social media, if you want to follow on there as well. Uh, we've talked about those earlier, but in case you missed that, um, Instagram at Transplants Take on Sport Pod, Facebook at Transplants Take on Sport Pod, and Twitter at TTOS Pod. And if you'd like to email to maybe suggest getting involved, coming on as a guest. If you've got a story to tell, then you can email transplantstakeonsport.gmail.com and hopefully we can get you involved and add you onto the list. So thanks again to Hannah for coming on the podcast. I've been Lewis Daniels and you've been listening to Transplants Take On Sport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 